When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Geekscape Book Club. As always, I am Christian Blatt, joined this month by the one, the only, Count Eric Connor. Eric, how are you? I am doing fine today. How about yourself, young man? I'm uh, doing great. You know, it's a, it's a Pleasant Valley Sunday, as they say, uh, here in the uh, beautiful downtown Burbank. Uh, so this month, we are talking about uh, two Adam Warlock stories, The Infinity Entity. And because I got to the end of The Infinity Entity and was like, oh, this is really not uh, any kind of an ending. So then we moved on to Thanos Infinity Finale. The Infinity Finale, though, uh, is where my friend, artist Andy Smith, comes in, and uh, he'll join us a little bit later uh, in this episode. Uh, when I mentioned that we were doing it, uh, he said he'd be happy to jump on for a bit. So uh, we'll talk to him in a little bit. Uh, let's talk, and we're obviously we're talking about Adam Warlock because anyone who's seen a trailer for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three know that he factors into it at some point. Uh, I have seen the movie. Eric has not seen the movie. Uh, I enjoyed the movie. Eric may or may not. He isn't able to weigh in because he hasn't seen it yet. So, you know, that's just that's just where we're at. But uh, remember, I did take you to see Thor Love and Thunder. So, you know, there's always that, you know. Oh, we always have love and we always have thunder. Always have thunder. Um, My familiarity with Adam Warlock was very limited. Uh, There is... In the early 90s, there was a big uh, crossover event, the Infinity Gauntlet, which is a familiar sounding story to fans of the MCU in that Thanos is assembling all of the Infinity Gems, as they were called in the book, the Infinity Stones. And uh, he is basically going to uh, obliterate... um, I don't think it was only half of humanity. Now, I haven't read it in 30 years, but he's trying to impress death. So one of the most interesting things about the comic version of Thanos is that he has love for death embodied in female form in the comic books. And, and they, they're an item. And uh, so he's oh, trying yeah. to impress death. Uh, Adam Warlock uh, makes an appearance in there, but the catam- the character of Adam Warlock was gone for the point in the eighties where I started reading comic books. So he kind of came back a little bit later. Uh, Thanos was also dead. It's basically, you know, Jim Starlin wasn't uh, working with these characters anymore. So they weren't really around. Now they're, these are more recent books. Uh, I believe they're both from uh, 2015, 2016. 16, yeah. uh, one of them is definitely from 2016. I just don't know, you know, how the, the issue release schedule. So I thought it would be interesting to dive into this character of Adam Warlock. All I knew about him was just sort of references in terms of, you know, just how incredibly powerful he was. And I believe when the character was first introduced, he was just called him. 
which uh, I think Adam Warlock is uh, certainly better. Just Warlock is good, but then that's confusing with the character Warlock from the New Mutants. So uh, I, I thought that this was a good story, and I had looked up and gotten some recommendations on Adam Warlock story, stories. So this being a recent one, this being written by Jim Starlin, and also providing some uh, wonderful artwork by two of my favorite artists, Alan Davis, who people know from Captain Britain and Excalibur, among other things, and Ron Lim, who did the uh, the new Silver Surfer series that started about 1987. So all, all of that preamble leads me to, Eric, what was your familiarity with Adam Warlock before reading these two volumes? You know, I realized for the long, <clears throat> pardon me, for the longest time, I think I conflated century, the Sentry and Adam Warlock as one character. Like, it, because I did not know Adam Warlock that well. And I think when both of them were kicking around as significant sort of characters with through lines throughout the universe, I wasn't reading comic books as much. Though I definitely, there was, um, I'm trying to remember if it was the, the Secret Wars reboot they did, that Sentry kind of uh, was a big piece of that or possibly civil war where right century I always found fascinating. And, and, and it was interesting because as I, as I was reading this, some of what I found interesting about century, like uh, these characters who are incredibly powerful, but have a hard time with their mental health, I find really interesting. And, and so there are moments here where Adam Warlock is just sort of lost in the universe, but I, I realized I did not know him that well. Yeah. Until it wasn't here. It was definitely uh, bef before your Guardians of the Galaxy 2 came out. Because that, when they mentioned, I call him Adam, you know, yeah. at the end of that, I knew who they were alluding to. But it's very similar to you. I think, you know, again, we're close in age, though I know uh, I, I look much younger than you, uh, Christian. You and, absolutely do, yes. And have and, a much younger soul. Should, for our audio audience, we should point out that uh, Eric is much more handsome than I am. <laughs> And for our video audience, we should point that out too. If it's apparent to times, them. It's absolutely apparent to them. You might believe yeah. us. Uh, but, <laughs> but, but, but by the way, I do have to mention, I just grabbed this off my wall. The man who, if this movie came, you know, if, if uh, Adam Warlock had a had a uh, film in the early 80s, it would be this fine actor playing him. Ladies and gentlemen, Brian the Bosworth? radio audience. That is Sam J. Jones. Oh, Sam Jones, who, of course, was uh, Flash Gordon. Yes. In Ari has the oh, hair. Perfect yeah, feathered blonde hair. <laughs> so, yes. So, I, so but, but this is a good introduction. I think uh, we'll, we'll talk about it because I, I, I'm glad you had us read the second set of I, stories. I, I felt like we couldn't do just that volume by itself. No. Infinity Entity. Uh, and that's part of the problem. At least the, there are times where I read our Geekscape Book Club book the day before we record and it's fine if if you or any of our other uh, friends who have sat in are reading the day before but as the person who determines the the homework the reading list the syllabus if you were uh if i had done this yesterday i would have been like uh oh i feel like we're doing something that's very incomplete and you get a little bit of a picture and i, I found that story to certainly be interesting but I think it needed to be in the context of the infinity finale. Now the infinity finale is also, this is apparently according to our pal, Andy Smith, who will be joining us a little later. This is a part of a trilogy of stories. Whereas the infinity entity kind of was 
you know, the lead into Infinity Finale. So uh, he worked on all three volumes and uh, we'll talk to him a little bit about that uh, when we get to it. But I, I thought that, uh, yeah, it's almost like Infinity Entity is when they put out one of those graphic novels or miniseries that it like ties into a movie. And so like you can read this before the movie and then infinity finale is the actual movie. So it's like the infinity entity is setting up the big thing, but it's not really the big thing. I am sure you could read these other volumes without reading infinity entity, except of course, for the fact that it's written by Jim Starlin and has uh, again, wonderful artwork from both Alan Davis and Ron Lim. So, you know, but it's not essential. So yeah, I, I immediately was like, "Uh Oh, we got to read the next thing. And I was able to, uh, quickly uh get both volumes uh, in my possession and then yeah, and leave them alan in a davis, care package you know, on alan your doorstep da- oh i'm sorry. sorry go ahead no i was just saying alan davis also uh did some of the penciling i'm holding this up for for the uh, radio audience uh he he did the penciling for the it, it was split into thanos annual one and infinity yeah. entity so he actually did the penciling for the infinity entity right yeah exactly this. So. Um, I, I so I wasn't sure if he had just done Thanos Infinity uh, finale because I actually found the style of Thanos Infinity finale like I, I absolutely loved the drawing of that and yeah potentially everything was really beautiful and the first part was good the second part I just it felt maybe because the visuals were just much more enticing <laughs> you know the, they, there was more going on in the second part of the story it's a lot of preamble lot of preamble and uh, arguably the first volume was uh, was just preamble but uh you know it's it's interesting because it's easy to get lost when the stories are happening on the grand cosmic scale with the in-betweener and entity and you know where like the least powerful person in the room is watu the watcher you know when the watcher is is not the most powerful person in the room you're like uh-oh oh yeah is- i know right he's like the also ran he's like yeah it's like you see all the greatest dudes and then the watcher's like yeah i'm here too hey yeah. guys hey 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 i'm not in the picture it's like, like awesome hey let, last time i checked your name wasn't the talker or the doer so <laughs> you know you're just you're just here to watch the sitter creep He's such a creep. He's always watching everything. But I, I, you know, and it can be it can be a little tough when you're dealing with these, you know, all powerful be- beings. You know, there's a, you know, an offhand comment at one point. It's, uh, you know, like, oh, well, you know, uh, Adam Warlock is uh, still learning how to deal with his omnipotence. And I'm like, yeah, that is it's probably difficult to deal with, uh, you know, being omnipotent. Uh, and uh, so sometimes the stories when they happen on that big of a scale, they almost seem insignificant because it's like, it's just too much. The stakes are too high. And it's like, well, what about the end of everything? You're like everything. I'm like, yep, everything, you know, whereas like the original secret wars, it was like, ah, this really powerful dude just kind of puts them on a planet and makes them fight. I'm like, I like that. It's like a Godzilla movie, you know, let them fight, you know? So, (laughs) but I, I mean, I found it to be interesting and it's characters that I'm familiar with for, you know, having read comic books for uh, much of the last 40 years. But those those big, powerful beings like Eternity, you don't see them that often because it's like there's too much, you know, like 
Galactus is, is you want to talk about an also ran in here, you know, it's like, oh yeah, Galactus got his ass kicked at some point. Wait, and you're like, he, what? You don't I even show him that. Yeah. 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 He's all like dried out like a prune. It's great. Yeah. It's like, and, and, and I think that you're, I can, could not agree with you more Christian. I, and I tend to agree with Christian. This is not big dramatic. Every news. once in a while we agree. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the X factors, if you have ever heard our, 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 our buddy, Michael Shirley speak, much more of the X factor of opinions, but yeah. uh, I, I completely agree. Like I, and I think what hooked you and I into Marvel was very similar. It was much more like, you know, character driven, much more real world issues. Like Spider-Man's great. Cause he has to keep down a part-time job. Uh, the X-Men are outcasts. Like there were just things in there you could, anyone could emotionally connect to. So when it gets into sort of celestial beings, I, I, it tends to leave me a little cold. Now, where it gets good in the second half is, is, is basically the, the stakes become much more tangible, which yeah. I think helps because they're talking in ways in the first half, which is, you're right, so cosmic, so kind of like the end of all time and all space. It's like, okay, well, I mean, on my list of worries, that's relatively low in my everyday life. You know, it, it's definitely well below even the flyers uh, turnaround, <laughs> you know? So in essence, like that's stuff that's unrelatable. And I think yeah. the, the issue they ran into with that first half is that it feels like they're just alluding to so much kind of off screen, you know, where we're like hearing things, but we're not seeing it. It's kind of cool seeing the, the sort of wake of destruction, but when we're not seeing the destruction, it, at some point you're like, okay, like get to it, please. And I can't imagine reading this as like an issue every month, right? Cause this was not released as a, as a one storyline. Yeah. No, what we book. read were collections. They, yeah. these were each, I assume monthly, but you never know what deadline. It could have been bi-weekly. And, uh, suppose, much, much as what we d- read last month, which was this uh, Kang the Conqueror series that we did. Uh, that uh, is uh, interestingly floating enough floating in ether. Yeah, apart, uh, but the only myself left to conquer. That uh, also I felt like would not have been as easy of a read on a monthly basis. And it's you know there, that's a separate conversation about how a lot of time these books aren't even taking into consideration you know the monthly audience. They're really for collections and trade paperbacks and you know digital Marvel Unlimited viewing and reading, but. Uh, I, I really agree that uh, I was glad that we read both of these, you know, all at once and uh, so close together. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Infinity Entity. Uh, you know, basically, uh, as, as it begins, there's this notion that, you know, Adam Warlock had been captive of Annihilus from the Negative Zone, who was a character that I remember fairly well from uh, John Byrne's run of Fantastic Four. Uh, but we get some interesting things with Adam Warlock. He goes and hangs out with the original Avengers, which, you know, for continuity reasons, uh, instantly everyone forgets about it because, you know, you got to do that sometimes when you went with your time traveling. Other times it could be interesting if you leave it. But uh, that was one. And I thought it was cool. You know, you see like the original Avengers and, you know, Hulk and Hulk in his uh, spandex shorts. Yeah, it was a, it was a good look for Hulk, you know, oh, for yeah. sure. And, you know, it's just sort of him kind of. Yeah, it's funny. I made made an offhanded comment to something being like quantum leap, but it's kind of like what he's doing. He's jumping around through time and seeing little snippets and trying to find something. 
And uh, interestingly, what he needs to meet up with in Infinity Entity, we're talking about Adam Warlock, of course, is that he needs to, you know, he ends up uh, meeting up with Thanos. And, you know, the reason why this is a decent jumping in story is the simple fact that Adam Warlock doesn't have his memory. So he kind of, he he's like really only remembers some very basic stuff and he gets more as the story goes along, which is, I think a convention of storytelling at a certain point. It's like, well, he can't have him not know anything. You know what I mean? So, uh, and you know, he just, uh, you know, he, he meets up with the in-betweener, you know, stuff like that, you know, characters that, I kind of remember from the official handbook of the Marvel universe, but I don't know that I'd ever actually read anything with them. You know, I, I did like the in-between. It reminded me of a black and white cookie. Uh, so <laughs> anything so did that you get hungry. That. <laughs> well, yeah. we just recently had black and white cookies. So I had a, oh a it was like a fondness of the memory of a day ago oh, when I was yeah. eating that black and white cookie. And oh, you know, I, I, um, could you tell me about an eyeless? Because I, I, I remember the name. I yeah. got excited because it reminded me of, of one of our favorite characters, Darth Nihilus from the Star Wars universe. Oh, uh, I, I, I thought you were going to say Turner D. Century, but... Uh, oh, well, I, when I, when I, listen, Turner D. Century, like a black and white cookie, never far from my thoughts. Uh, that's but fair. What is an... I mean, Nihilus' personality, like... So he, like... All the he, villains, I don't know. Yeah, he, it's very very simple. He is sort of the the most manic of villains in the, you know, the best slash worst of the Stanley Jack Kirby, you know, villains. Like he's, he's a bug Dr. Doom that rules the negative zone basically. And so like, you know, it's like you rule that zone and, you know, where we deal with Mephisto in the story and he rules Hades. So basically he's the devil. He rules in hell, but only there. So you can think of a nihilist like that. And, you know, he had uh, come up with a way to imprison Adam Warlock and, you know, we're following Adam Warlock around when he's thinking that he's actually gotten out. But, you know, that's where it starts to get confusing because there's like this small manifestation of himself and then Thanos is doing the same thing. You know, there's a callback to uh, for our visual audience, what's in my background, which is the Infinity Gauntlet, the series that I mentioned so the time where he had all the infinity gems and they were all in the infinity gauntlet, he was able to split his consciousness to t- kind of try and, uh, you know, it's almost like he's like, well, I know this isn't going to work out. So I got to, I got to plan for the, right. for the next big fight, you know? And so that was you know, that was all sort of part of what he had going on. And uh, it was kind of interesting. There's also the extra confusion added into the fact that this Adam Warlock is apparently not our reality's Adam Warlock, the one that, you know, it's not our Marvel mm-hmm. 616 Adam Warlock. This is a different Adam Warlock who his reality was compacted directly into him. So he's all powerful, but that's also why the in-betweener can't be around him because there's another in-betweener there. And uh, I'm sure that that visual uh, made Eric think about someone dropping a black and white cookie and having the pieces splinter all over the floor and then just kind of wondering at that point... Uh, what could we possibly do? Can we enjoy this cookie? Is it too late? You know, all, all the important questions, really. Do I know? let the dog I, get it? Or am I the <laughs> dog? Right. Yeah, exactly. So in any case. Uh, I mean, but I, is it nihilist? Like, I, I apologize. It, it just, it, maybe because you reminded me of uh, what, that character in Space Goes Coast to Coast. Uh, 
the grass. Oh, not, not Drax. Uh, Drax. Well, Brack. No, um, Brax. I know who you're talking about, but uh, Drax like this. Yeah, and that guy. Like I can't remember his name, but yeah, it, he it is just, like that bug guy. Yeah, yeah. Right, and so thus, you have all these fabulous villains who show up in this. By the way, I mean, sure. You yeah. you, you got the the you know really the murderers row of great supervillains, and yet he's the one who's the main antagonist. You know, or maybe you could say uh, Warlock's psyche is the main antagonist. You could make that argument. Sure. But either way, it, 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 I did find him in the story a less a less than fascinating villain because he just was so. It, it's one of those like hell bent on destruction. We've seen that so many times. And what makes you know Thanos interesting, you know, is that there's a really interesting logic to him. Doctor Doom is interesting because he's got that that god complex to him like there he even has one great line in there like if if this was such a thing i would have figured it out already i i'm misquoting it but no but yeah that attitude comes off in one sentence and i think that uh, annihilus it has the central role in the story because they need someone that could so easily be a puppet of mephisto you know what i mean like a a lot of great Always like a Mephisto. lot of these others, uh, I think, wouldn't have felt for, you know, the basically like, oh, here I am. And, uh, you know, basically in a rubber mask, pretending to not be the Lord of the underworld. And uh, yeah, so I, I I did think it was an interesting choice. But then as the story went along, I'm like, it's it's because he's a bit of a patsy. You know what I mean? They yeah, yeah. basically have that. And, uh, you know, the the revelation as we get as the infinity entity goes along is that, you know, because we see Mephisto early on and he's like talking to Thanos and then he disappears and then he comes back as like, actually, I'm I'm this other guy. And I actually forgot the name of that character because. Oh, wait, oh uh, no, I have that. Dr. Dr. Boltar. Dr. Boltar, which uh, is uh, straight out of uh, Battlestar Galactica, by the way. Dr. Baltar, Gaius Baltar, who uh, right. was the uh, Cylon sympathizer in both iterations of that show. But in any case, yeah, I, I should have remembered it because I remember you know, making that connection when I read it. But he is so that's who Mephisto is pretending to be. And then he carries on that charade as uh, the Thanos Infinity finale comes along. Um, specifically talking about the Infinity Entity before we move along, before our guest pops in. Yeah. Uh, what were, as, as you read through that volume, the, there's those four issues, and then they also had that Thanos annual at the beginning of it. Uh, what, were, what, what did you feel as, as you read that? I felt like it was a nice refresher, but it clearly wasn't the main story. That's why we had to read mm-hmm. more. But uh, what was your thought, Eric? I enjoyed the sense of, okay, with this, uh, with this framework, we could then bounce around a bit, which is, I think, really great. So you see, it's like, okay, let's insert him into an old school Avengers story. You know, let's bring him over here. Let's bring the Celestials in. So if nothing else, like, I think it very much was like, like you were just kind of like a good primer, you know, for kind of getting us into these characters, the stakes, um, I, and I kind of love that early on. It's like, oh, my God, he's going to fight all the Avengers. And he takes them down like that. Uh, yeah. and, part, <laughs> and of course, by the way, the squeak was almost on cue with my snap. Uh, yep, there it is again. Thanks, Fezzik. Yes, this is a perfect time to play. Uh, for the radio audience, that is my Australian shepherd, not just uh, an Andre the Giant uh, character I hire uh, on the weekends. <laughs> 
no, would if I could. Uh, oh, but we all would if we all could, absolutely. Oh, most deaf. But yeah, you know, I, I think it it was it was one of those. I'm very glad I read it together because I, I definitely think if I had to read this one issue at a time, it gets into even like the issues with like binge TV and you know how some Netflix shows approach their seasons where they treat it like, well, it's just three acts of a really long story, uh, which you know means episode to episode sometimes the needle of the storytelling only moves so much. Uh, and and that's kind of what it felt like here. Though I love the the payoff at the end was great. Uh, yeah, you know, but that it, it that was, a was great reveal. And when you got to that payoff, you're like, oh, this is why we can't be done with this. You know, oh, because for that, certain. that reveal that it is Mephisto, and you know, it's a it's a reverse uh, Wizard of Oz. It's like you're well, actually, you've been here all along, and uh, you know, it's like a it's right, like right, a right. mashup of uh, the Wizard of Oz. And that film, Johnny Got His Gun, that Metallica used for the one video where the, guy, the guy's just all in his mind because, you know, which, you know, we often think about how we could do a mashup of that. And basically that's Adam Warlock in this. You know, they have sort of that level of consciousness. What I love about both of these stories, by the way, and we'll talk to Andy about this when he pops in, is the inclusion of Pip the Troll. Oh, who is yes. Such like a ridiculous character that especially when you see the amount of power that he represents and wields and the influence he has. I'm like, but he's still Pip the Troll, you know, uh, and uh, maybe one day we'll get Pip the Troll on the big screen. But uh, so far, we have well, not. I, I sent you the image from the Eternals because it's also it's already gone down in lore for being probably the worst rendered CG character they've done in the whole Marvel cinematic universe, which only made me like it more. Yeah. And, and you sent me so many uh, pictures that uh, I, 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 I'm going to have to No, no, no. no. It's my fault because uh, I, I didn't download them properly. Like I usually do. Sometimes when I share the pictures you send me, I just use them, you know, I just basically share the screen with my email, you know, and then I do that. But uh, it, it was hastily accomplished and I, I can share Pip the Troll from Eternals, which I believe was uh, uh, voiced by Patton Oswalt. Yes, is, is, yeah. So, uh, yeah, he didn't he didn't look great. He did look like <laughs> Patton Oswalt, which that part was great. But uh, there he was with Harry Styles. And it was exciting to get Pip the Troll. Uh, and, and I guess maybe what I was getting at was, you know, a story that revolves around him. But I wouldn't count on it. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I, I, I don't see. Yeah. If there is a, a one off called Pip, you and I will be there 20 times and only you and I will be there. And what if they what if what if it has, uh, you know, a, a really great uh, lyrical book and it's called Pippin? I don't know. Just something to think about. Uh, neither here Pippin nor there. Easy. Yeah, <laughs> but it sure is fun. Uh, so, and they used yes, him, and by the way, they used him really well here. I mean, obviously, yes, I agree. You know, part of the lore of him with the his his brief entry into the MCU is starting on kind of an auspicious debut, but really the way it fit into this story felt right. It was good comedic brief, comedic relief, but didn't feel forced. And uh, I, he had a moment where he's like, how do I take him down with no weapons? And then he throws yeah. something and he does it. And he's like, wow, that worked. And I'm like, <laughs> all right, I like Pip. And then his, uh, at the end, the tag of him and Warlock, 
being reunited, I thought was pretty awesome as well. So it was a it was a, a good use of that character. They gave him enough to do that. It, it actually, weirdly enough, a bit of the story did hinge on him, and he kind of an unexpected hero, kind of like the 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 rat in uh infinite in um endgame. You know, just like a small oh, character yeah. whose actions actually could save the whole world. Yeah. No, I think that uh th- there are those interesting characters and you feel like, all right, uh, Jim Starlin clearly has some kind of affinity for Pip. Uh and that's why, you know, he kind of strong armed him in here and it's not even uh, you know, it's it's not even a criticism. It's just like, oh yeah, they they made sure that there was room for him. Uh, and you know, I think that uh, basically this second story, it's sort of what we're you know alluding to, is this idea that you know it, this is really a Thanos story that happens to feature Adam Warlock, and he factors into it, but it's really sort of Thanos kind of dealing with this idea that uh, basically he and Adam Warlock basically caused the end of uh, everything, you know, of all reality. And, uh, you know, just sort of trying to figure out how, how do you fix that? (laughs) You know? Uh, And yeah, you know, and, and it's sort of the way that it, uh, well, you know, we can spoil things and talk about things out of order, but this idea that there needs to be a living tribunal, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, the, you know, that was that what I referenced earlier, that because he absorbed everything uh, th- that created a problem. Uh, and then he, you know, ends up taking on that mantle, which is kind of interesting because then you always wonder, like, so what happens next for Adam Warlock after this? But that's a conversation for uh, for another time. Uh, mm-hmm. Just sort of reading this and, you know. It's they definitely do a good job in Infinity Finale of setting up this idea that, you know, it's the uh, well, uh, my Star Trek fans know it as the Kobayashi Maru, the no win situation. He's definitely in a no win scenario. And Mm -hmm. uh, that's why you need friends like Pip the Troll. You know, you need somebody that's unassuming who can really help you out of a jam because there's being omnipotent. And then there's being impotent in your omnipotence. Yes, I felt like that was very clever. Uh, just yeah, now. I was amused. I was, I was waiting you. for you to go there. Yeah. <laughs> and you oh, arrived. Yeah. We were circling that. around it for a kind of a while now. <laughs> um, but uh, what are some things that stood out to you from specifically uh, this this story? You know, which does really start out as Thanos' story, and then you know, and and then Adam Warlock is wrapped in basically the second half of it, probably issues three and four. Three and four of Infinity Finale. Wait, well, I, I guess you could say cosmic global destruction makes for strange bedfellows. Right? I've I've always said that. I mean, I think the yeah. first time I met you, I said that. And yeah, like, no, it was an odd way to, to introduce yourself. <laughs> and you were like, "Sir, it. this is an Arby's." <laughs> Big talk for a man who's getting extra barbecue sauce. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. it, it, you know, and and these two have have battled each other each other many times right that i feel like that's like you're talking kind of, about uh thanos and, thanos and adam. adam warlock yeah yes absolutely. absolutely yeah because the, because they're kind of set up uh as equals on that end and so this idea they have to actually work together it's kind of great and, and especially how they sort of meet in the middle like when the world when it, when it can't just say the world when the, i guess the universe all space and time is destroyed and really, I love the the rendering of just pure white with just the two characters and nothing else. 
you know, got some end of the never ending story vibes from it. Uh, even yeah. though they didn't have white there, it was just two people <laughs> and one grain of sand or something. So, I, but the idea of like, Hey, we have to fix this. And yeah, this was not in either of our plans. And so there was something I, I thought, you know, again, the was a bit more emotional, like suddenly it did feel much more drawn by ca- characters goals versus let's just throw kind of a bunch of problems out onto the page. This felt much more emotional, much more driven by them. And thus it became a lot more interesting. Like I definitely had more skin in the game and I, and I really enjoyed how, you know, Warlock wakes up and you think that's going to solve everything, but nope, (laughs) quite the opposite. It destroys everything. Yeah, no, definitely. And, uh, you know, this is uh, sort of going back to the end of the uh, first volume. This is one of the things that you sent me that uh, I wanted to focus on. Uh, It's sort of that reveal that Adam Warlock is still there, still a president of Nihilus. And, uh, and, you know, it's all the handiwork of Mephisto, which, you know, it's the, the impression in this second story, Infinity Finale, is this idea that Annihilus is actually the mastermind uh, behind everything. But it's, again, he's just having his strings pulled, uh, not even, not even very, you know, he's not having his strings pulled very hard, you know, it's a, it's a very, it's a very light puppetry, you know, it's a, it, it's, it's more of a muppetry, you know, where it's like, very yeah, much you can move him pretty easily. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dr. Baltar is kind of like a, well, first of all, I, I was excited because I thought, okay, I could play Dr. Baltar. Oh um, yeah. If I shave, I, I don't know. I might, I, I could easily be looking like him. I haven't seen my beardless face in a long time it's a it's a cosplay that uh you know that uh, you feel like you could pull off and maybe not everybody not everybody is going to be showing up at comic-con and uh, we've got (laughs) a little bit of a glare in this image but uh you know it's uh it's really it's really a great look for dr boltar i think and And uh, i think if i I went into you know comic-con in san diego dressed as dr boltar the seven people who recognized it would be really impressed. That's seven pictures that you would have to take with people. And, right. Uh, but there would not, there would not be an eighth. <laughs> nope. And I would charge them through the nose for the privilege. Oh yes, of course you and would. Go, That's go full Hollywood Boulevard. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. That's absolutely. So um, I, I kind of, in you know, again, I enjoy this, this story. Uh, and I think because I, I guess because it is different than a lot of what I've read, you know, recently, semi recently, you know, even going back. So it's really the infinity gauntlet was like the big event on this scale. And I think they've done a number more since then, but, uh, that, that was really the, the one for me. And, you know, you would hear a lot about Thanos warlock, captain Marvel, who was, uh, had already passed by the time I was reading comics and uh, you know they've they've uh, really stuck to keeping Marvel uh, dead because of the impact of you know him dying in the first Marvel graphic novel. Uh, they'll they'll do things where they'll pull him out from earlier points in time from before mm-hmm. he died. They've done that a couple of times, but uh, it, it's usually uh, it's so far you know it's uh, he's he's dead until he isn't anymore. But uh, <laughs> so. I, I thought it was fun to get to see these characters and, and, and some of them. And, you know, uh, there's, there's definitely a few that I'm like, Oh yeah, I remember him from, 
you know, the back cover of the official handbook of the Marvel universe, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's a um, deep track, right? Yeah. Do you feel like these two stories do a good job to uh, have people at least get somewhat familiar of the potential of Adam Warlock and who the character is, or were you left with more questions than you had before you read it? I don't think I was left with more questions, but you know, thinking of, I mean, and again, you sit there with that all knowing grin because you have already seen guardians three. There is a chance that I, I already know things that uh, perhaps not everyone knows. Yes, it's true. Which is awesome. Often the case with you, you know, in just general daily life, you, you yes, tend to know fair. things more than most. And, you know, warlock seems so all powerful on the pages in the pages of these, of these stories that, it was then like, okay, how exactly is, I don't know, Rocket Raccoon going to fight him? Uh, but that made Great me questions. more excited to see the film because yeah, it's like, wow. And I also, I mean, I was seeing what they've done to Will Poulter's young body to get him ready for this character. So now it's like, okay, yeah. well, he's he's looking kind of uh, Thorian, uh, you know, a bit of a Greek Adonis kind of look. So, well, if the, ter- if the term Greek Adonis comes up, it must be time for Andy Smith to pop. Yes, it is. Perfect segue. We're, we're talking about sleek young bodies and Greek. Adonis. <laughs> Obviously it is time for Andy Smith to what, join us. What perfect timing. My God, you're <laughs> describing me to a T. I'm like the statue of David, unfortunately, <laughs> even down to the down below. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> you're you're like a slightly depowered Adam Warlock, basically. Which yeah. I think is they keep you in Florida. I'm sorry to tell you. <laughs> yeah. So, well, but yeah, uh, I gotta admit, dude, when they cast that guy, I was yeah. like, that guy. Yeah. And yeah, then yeah. I googled what he recently looked like, and I was like, oh, that dude actually grew up out of his geekness. So good for him. Yeah, I, I I will say that uh, yeah, this is this is not a spoiler, but seeing him in Guardians Volume Three, I just will be ready for more whenever they decide to do more with the character. Not, oh, you really? Know, you no, no, because you. It's not that you don't get enough of him. It's more like okay, let's let's see what's next for him in the MCU because right. you know obviously he's coming in to those characters, and you know he's he's not dealing with Thanos, who you know you'll assume Thanos will stay dead in the MCU, but it depends, you know, how long are they going to keep making movies? You know, where do they want to pick him out of uh, the timeline? But uh, Andy, uh, first of all, uh, we uh, obviously, we appreciate you being here and uh, we'll make sure to let people know what you're up to before we're done. We'll talk about uh, the, the Indiegogo. We'll talk about uh, the the great show that you and your friend Dennis Turner do that. uh, It's a great show because you've had me on as a guest. If you'd never had me on as a guest, I'd say, I hear it's a great show, but uh, that you hear it's just an okay show. Yeah. I hear it's just okay, but uh, I can vouch for one of those episodes being excellent. Uh, But uh, so you worked on the the second story that we're talking about, uh, which is called Infinity Finale, but it was also that in and of itself was part of a trilogy. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is going back, I think, seven, eight years, somewhere in that range. Talk about getting yeah. involved in that and, you know, the the notion of like, oh, OK, I'm going to be working on a Jim Starlin project that deals with, you know, these like big time, big name cosmic characters. Um, well, I mean, the whole way the project came about was I was talking to a friend of mine, uh, and you know, I, I was the anchor on those projects over Jim and I was talking to a buddy of mine and, you know, basically, Hey, how's it going? And this is back in 2011. And he was like, ah, it's going good. But I just had to turn down a project over Jim Starlin. And I was like, 
really? He's like, yeah, at the time, my friend was exclusive to DC Comics. Oh, okay. So I asked him, uh, even though, I, I mean, I didn't really have to ask him because he turned it down. But I said, well, you don't mind if I email Jim about it? And he's like, go ahead. So I shot Jim an email because I met Jim in uh, uh, early 90s. So I just shot him off an email saying, hey, I heard you got this new project. Um, looking for an anchor. If you haven't found anybody, I'd love to do it. And Jim wrote back and said, that'd be awesome. Uh, I got to let you know, though, it's it's like 100 pages. And I was like, oh, okay, that's fine. Now, I didn't know <laughs> if it was like five single issues or I didn't know what it was. Right. Because he's like, I got to run it past the editor. I can't really say much more than that. And I was like, okay. So he did. And the editor contacted me and, and officially offered me the gig. And at the time, it was only supposed to be that one, that first Thanos graphic novel. And it was right. supposed to come out um, uh, right before the movie or right around the first, uh, first Avengers movie. And I was like, okay. So, because um, you remember the after credit scene was Thanos. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, it was like, okay, no problem. We have tons of time because this was like the year before that came out in 2012. This was 2011. So there's lots of time. So, you know, that's how I got involved. And um, the movie obviously did well. The, comp, the, the graphic novel did well enough to where Jim said, well, it looks like they want to do two more. Are you, are you down? And I was like, of course. Yeah. You know? Right. So, oh um, I did those. And then the reason Jim did not draw the third one, the finale, and it was Ron Lim is because yeah. Jim had, a um, you know, those soda stream things that bubble yeah. the, your water or whatever. Yeah. Sure. Well, long story short, he had one and, it, he was using it and, you know, using your hands and stuff to make it work. And it actually blew up. Oh, my gosh. And Whoa. messed up his hand to the point of he didn't know if he'd ever draw again and messed up one of his eyes as well. Wow. So he uh, he obviously could only write it. And, um, you know, I threw my hat in the ring to draw it. I said, well, I'd love to draw it. And he's like, yep, yeah, I will definitely... I'll throw that out there, but we're going to ask Ron Lim first because, you know, Ron and Jim go way back with Silver Surfer in the 90s and then the Infinity Gauntlet and War and all that stuff. So it made right. sense. I was like, yeah. He goes, but if Ron says no, I'll try and get you to. Well, I mean, Ron said yes. And, you know, I was still on board to ink it. So, you know, I inked it. So, yeah, no. And obviously, I mean, Ron had that, uh, I, I don't know if that was the second or third volume of Silver Surfer, but the one that comes out in like 1987. Right. Uh, and that was the first time I really got to see his work on a monthly basis. And I'm like, this is great. You know, this is like, it's sort of right before you got the style of, you know, the, the McFarlane, the Liefeld, you mm -hmm. know, not that that, not that their styles are the same, but it was like sort of that different look. And at that point for those couple of years, like Ron Lim was like the guy, you know, he, and maybe Art Adams was a little bit similar, but mm -hmm. you didn't see that in monthly books. And I, I always liked his work. So uh, that, that's how, <laughs> that's how you ended up here today as I was reading that uh, infinity finale. And I'm like, Hey, look who inked this. 
And you're like, yep, I sure did. And well, uh, it was the third one that you had done. And uh, I thought it was great that, you know, you, you got to not only ink Ron Lim in the one that I read, but then also those previous volumes actually getting to ink uh, Jim Starlin, which is great. Yeah. And in between all that stuff, right around the time I was doing the first one, they also had me ink this Thanos annual that Ron Lim drew. Right. And then I think, I think it was after the first one, before we started the second one, because we didn't, I think what happened was we finished the first one. We didn't know right out of the gate, there was going to be a two and three. So Jim wrote this um, Hulk versus Thanos story, which was going to be a mini series, uh, you know, standalone mini series. Or no, it was supposed to be, I gotta remember, there was a Hulk book coming out at the time that Alan Davis was drawing. And I think it was supposed to be issue seven, eight, and nine of that. Oh, okay. But what happened was they said, you know what? Let's just make it a standalone miniseries, Hulk versus Thanos, and do that instead. So that's what they did. And um, so I inked those. And that was obviously before Jim hurt his hand as well. Right. And uh, and then we did volume two. And then, you know, Jim hurt his hand and, you know, Ron came in and and whatnot. So and uh, the the other uh, part of the story that we were talking about, Infinity Entity, that has uh, mm-hmm. Alan Davis as well, who's, yeah. you know, like, uh, I mean, I really know him from Excalibur. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's it, it's such a unique style. And uh, I've always liked uh, Alan Davis's work. Oh, yeah. So it's it was great. It was like. I was like, there. You know, there's Alan Davis, there's Ron Lim. You get to see some Jim Starlin and Andy Smith. You know, I mean, it was just like, uh, it was great. So talk about, you know, uh, obviously. Th- so in terms of inking, you know, there's a difference. Sometimes you'll see when it, the credits are, you know, breakdowns and finishes pe- mm-hmm. versus pencils and inking. So the pencils, how done are the images before the inker comes in like you know for specifically for this uh this story uh how much was done when it got into your hands oh i mean jim's a jim well jim's what i call uh uh, i guess you say classical penciler because i mean obviously he's been around since this early 70s sure and what i mean by that is all the information is there like all the all the the rendering is there. The rendering is, of course, the line work and the textures and things like that. Um, full pencils also mean that all the solid black areas are indicated as well. Uh, but um, Jim's pencils still need interpretation when you ink it because he's not trying to do line weights. That's the inker's job. He's not trying to do this rendering or feathering on a figure that is so precise that there are pencilers that pencil so tight now that they don't even need an anchor because they do just, they just are so ridiculously tight with their pencils. But Jim's not like that. It's kind of like how John Byrne is, George Perez, all these guys from that time period, everything's there. But if you look at like, uh, I mean, even if you look at Jim, you know, when Al Milgram, would ink Jim Starlin, it looked a certain way. You know, when uh, Terry Austin, who's inked Jim a few times, it looked different, but you could still tell it was Jim. You know, when I inked him, you can still tell it was Jim, but it had some of my style on it. Whereas some of the pencilers today are, are so tight that 
that, you know, there really isn't room to deviate. So yeah. it's, it's hard to tell uh, different anchors apart because these guys are just so deliberate and, and uh, almost anal with how, how tight they pencil. And I understand part of it because I, I kind of did that for a while when I broke into the business because it was kind of like, well, you don't know who's going to ink your work. So better to pencil it really tight. So it's almost foolproof than kind of like the older guys like Jim, John Byrne, George Prez, where, you know, if you take any of those guys, they've all gotten bad ink jobs. And it's because the anchor just wasn't that good in interpreting what they put down in their pencils. Right. And I, I think that, uh, you know, there are some that the 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 inker has such a style you mentioned you know the one that always stands out to me is terry austin i mean mm -hmm. to me john burns artwork when john burn inks it it doesn't hold a candle to when terry austin inks it i prefer right. it so much just me personally but you know yeah so if a penciler is inked by terry austin one month and then maybe somebody like klaus jansen the next month it's going to look so radically different you know oh, yeah. and and, uh, you know, I mean, and, and, and obviously the, the guys that they inked, uh, you know, I mean, Klaus Jansen ends up, you know, doing that Punisher book, I think by himself, but, uh, mm -hmm. you know, you cut your teeth inking Frank Miller, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a good way to make a dent. So what I thought was interesting because I was reading this, uh, having already, you know, messaged you about the mm -hmm. fact that uh, you were involved, some of these images, you know, there's like a heap, there's piles of characters who have all been defeated and you're like, well, you could you could do the thing that you would see sometimes in, in older comics where it's like, eh, you know, that kind of looks like Wolverine. There's the little points and here's some of Spider-Man's, you know, the webs on it on his boot. But uh, uh, but uh, talk about just tackling those. And I mean, it's it's not my job. I just look at it. To me, it seems like it would be fun to be like, yeah, let's see how many characters I can, you know, that we how can many dead pile bodies up. can I pile? Yeah. In one <laughs> how many how many dead beloved heroes can <laughs> uh, can I ink? Uh, talk about some of those images uh, uh, first with the ones with many many characters. Well, I mean, when it's a when it's a spread, two page spread, or just a panel that has a lot of characters, you know, first and foremost, you want to um, you want to ink it clearly enough that distinguishes, you know, who is who, and you have separation, especially when they're all massed together like that. You really want to focus on the separation so it's not just a jumbled mess. Uh, and then obviously coloring helps with that as well. So even if the, especially in this day and age with coloring being done on a computer with all the different yeah. tones, it's not flat. So we, if the anchor were to drop the ball, the colors could pick it up and basically fix it all. But from an inking standpoint, I usually, I, I, I usually focus on the biggest figure, the most important figure first, and then kind of work my way, you know, down from there. If it's a, if it's a shot of like, you know, say, you know, Thanos standing on a heap of bodies where there's not a lot of depth, you know, it's all kind of on the same plane, start the top, kind of work my way down. If it's a big group shot where there's many layers of, you know, like foreground figures and then mid ground and background, I'll always start foreground and work my way back because once I get to the background, the foreground and midground are done. So I know how, how much I need to lighten up line weights and such to create that sense of sense of depth and illusion that, you know, it's not just this flat piece of paper that you're looking at. 
Right, exactly. Now, Eric, it looks like you're trying to uh, yeah, you, you want to show I, something for our visual audience, which we'll describe for our uh, our audio audience. But uh, let's see what we've got here. Yeah, well, actually, uh, I was trying to find. Well, yeah, I was trying to find one of the fight scenes, but I, as I was looking for this, I, I was curious. Uh, first of all, by the way, uh, hello, I'm Eric, and thank hey. you so much for joining us. Oh, I must uh, sure. I, I must not have done a good job of hosting. Sorry about that. Of course. No, no, it kept me mysterious. Why not? Yeah, that's right. I, for, like I forgot your name as soon as there was uh, someone else in the room. That's oh, how please, it works. Yeah. Please, I, I barely remember <laughs> me any day of the week. Uh, I, I was curious, and maybe Christian already touched on this, but you know, do you know? Obviously, you've you've many many titles in your your long career, but do you recall any specific kind of creative challenges you had personally as an inker in capturing this, which had such a wide range of everything from massive battles to two characters in front of a blank white background. I was curious if there was any specific part of this that you might remember that was a particular challenge for you as an inker. Um, in the Thanos storyline, I remember Jim did a, uh, I want to say it was a two-page spread, and I, I don't remember what volume it was in. I mean, it was obviously one or two because Jim drew it. And it was, I'm pretty sure it was a two-page spread of, like, uh, deaths, like, uh, lack of a better word castle or something yeah. i remember skulls and stuff and mm -hmm. there weren't a ton of figures on it it was more just this background image with i believe there was a big skull maybe on, in the foreground somewhere and he just did a lot of texture and you know when it comes to inking figures i've never i've never really had a problem i just can look at it see how i would do it and just go to town on it but when it came to that background it was so expansive and he had so many different well i shouldn't say he had lots of different textures because as the penciler he's just using his pencil to indicate mm -hmm. line work and stuff and that was the that was the challenge because it was my job as the anchor to go okay i i want to make these textures look different you know ground the ground level or you know the ground plane the stone you know whatever the castle thing was made out of and uh, he did, you know, not necessarily on that spread. If, Like I said, if it was a spread, it could have just been one big panel or a splash page. But there was some smoke and stuff he would do. So it was it was different because, you know, out of most of my career, I've done mostly penciling. I've only, you know, 32 years in the business. I guess if you were going to break it, like, into years, take all the work I've done inking, would fit into maybe three years, you know, total, if I did it, you know, back to back on all the inking projects. Right. So, and I haven't inked that many guys either. I've only inked, I think probably less than 10 pencilers, 10 different pencilers. Uh, Jim is definitely one I've inked the most of. And then the second's probably Bart Sears. Um, and then probably Daryl Banks, but anyhow, um, so sometimes, you know, because each penciler does stuff differently, it makes me look at it and think, how am I going to do this or how am I going to interpret it, you know? Right. And um, so that was that was probably it. That's like a standout that first came to mind. Was, yeah, so by the way, I found the panel. This, this was, yeah, and please. I apologize, this is one that I would say is, is that yeah. Jim or Ron? It's hard for me to. That oh, that would Ron. be Ron. Oh yeah, 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 yeah Ron. I remember that. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so this for the for our 
our uh, radio listeners out there in the world, like this is one where I, I describe this as the kind of moments that gets my fourteen-year-old uh, bouncing out of his seat in the theaters. Well, the, you, and, know, you know, the thing is, the I love. I, I'm like you guys. I love Ron's stuff. You know, Ron yeah. got into the business before I did. He he started, I think, in the. I want to say he started in the mid '80s, and then he finally he transitioned over to Marvel '86, maybe '87. Um. Because yeah, I remember seeing I've like early work stuff. of his was like it was an independent publisher. It was something called like the X E X Mutants or something. It was uh, it was a oh, black and white that, book. Oh man, that is. See, yeah. I was actually thinking. I know exactly what you're talking about. I was thinking. I forgot about that. I was thinking of uh, Innovation Hero Alliance. He did some stuff for that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was, I was enough of a fan of his that I remember seeing these, uh, you know, and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's something that, uh, it, it, it was never really that big, you know, this, this book, uh, cause it's like, I, you know, I'm like looking for an image of it while I'm talking to you and like, you know, it's from like 35 years ago and you could, you oh, could yeah. get a, a copy of it for like two fifty two dollars yeah. and 50 cents. I, I should specify, but, um, that was the, that was some of the, the earliest stuff that, uh, that I remember seeing. And this was probably closer to when he ended up working with Marvel, but, uh, That's the yeah, stuff. Was, yep, yeah, that. it's, it's, it's such a, it's such like an eighties look too, though, in like a, a really cool way. But, uh, oh yeah. See, look, $2.50, amazing, it could be yours. Amazing comics. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, so it was a dollar 80 and now it's two dollars and 50 cents so that's yeah. uh, hit a, hit a that, convention dollar box that, and I yeah you'll find that's it, so. that's not uh representative of inflation in that same time period but uh that's not for yeah. this show um, but uh yeah so sorry so he started a bit before you so oh, you know, yeah. obviously uh and he's you know he'd also worked with jim before so it, this probably wasn't one of those like you know i'm sure you wanted to draw it but the idea that that they went with him it was probably like oh, this is still going to be fun you know yeah it was a no-brainer and you know the reason the reason alan davis and mark farmer did the other three is because you know jim still wasn't able to draw at the time yeah and i don't know if they offered it to ron Lim or not i have no idea uh they might not have because they needed something for alan to draw or they oh, might yeah. have and you know ron could have just said no i don't want to i don't want to commit to 300 pages of stuff Right. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a great point. Um, something that uh, Eric referenced, I, I was thinking about, you know, this, the, these stories all, they'll have those moments that happen in sort of some kind of nebulous limbo, like kind of location where it really is a mostly white page, but then on that page, you'll have a character like eternity, which, mm -hmm. you know, has like the representation of like, you know, an entire universe. Mm -hmm. uh, how is, how is that from any point, whether it's penciling, inking, you know, having those kinds of characters, but it's like, well, there's nothing behind them. And is it fun to play with that contrast where it's like, you know, you don't have to have, you know, the New York city, you know skyscrapers behind them or something like that like you would so often in a in like a fight scene you know no i mean i did do something like that once i think in quasar okay. i mean you know if it's a scene where it's just characters with a white background that's just that's awesome because we get paid the same so <laughs> it's miller time it, it's just quicker quicker to draw you know yeah um yeah. i remember the 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 easiest page I ever had was actually in an issue of Quasar and it was a splash page. So, you know, first page of the book, yeah, one panel. So, you know, splash page took up the whole page and it was just a, I'm pretty sure it was Quasar. It was just a long shot 
of Earth floating in space. So it's pretty oh. much draw a circle. Do and it was a long <laughs> shot, so it's small on the page. <laughs> so right. draw a circle, do a little bit of stuff on it, so the colorist knows what's basically blue and what's brown for you know landmass, and then you know maybe so I don't look like I'm totally a hack. Put the moon in the shot as well, just so there's <laughs> something else. And right. other than that, it's pretty much, you know, for the, I was penciling it. So for the anchor, for a space shot, instead of filling in all that black with the side of your pencil, you just write in BWS, which indicates black with stars to the anchor. Oh, okay. So, I mean, yeah. I basically drew two circles. One was Earth, <laughs> one was the moon, wrote in black with stars in the background, called it a day. I think it took 20 minutes. So, <laughs> if that uh that's that's great you know it's funny that when when you said the uh you know uh we get we get paid the same regardless of what's on the page i remember uh you know one 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 of the the number of interviews i've done with chris claremont i was talking about like all the other stuff he was doing while he was still doing uncanny x-men after it was big you know i mean at at, at various points you know he did iron fist and marvel team up and you oh, know yeah. uh, ms marvel and all that and at some point i was just like you know talking about like it was basically like, why did you work so much? And he's like, because they paid me by the page. And I was like, that's the greatest answer you could get. It was so, it was like, Honestly, and especially because those, those books, if you remember in the seventies, they only did 17 pages. Right. They had more ads. So it was like, yeah, you're not going to be able to draw one book or write one book and, and make the, the well, right and amount of money. You know, when I, when I went to the Kubrick school for uh, art school in the eight in the late eighties, early nineties, you know, Joe Kubrick pretty much, said that you know a penciler should be able to draw one page a day yeah right uh so that's five a week 20 pages in a book four weeks you get it done in a month and and pay is kind of like the pay scale kind of works that way to where you know you can i mean for for a long time when i was drawing a monthly book i would just draw one page a day and i was fine you know making a living an anchor should be able to ink one and a half pages a day because their page rate, because their inking is a little bit lower than a penciler. So to kind of make the same amount of money, you do a page and a half. Right. And then, um, a colorist should basically for what they got paid. I'm trying to remember, cause this was at the time where it was flat colors. So they were actually using, uh, watercolors and dyes right. and photocopies to do the coloring. You know, a colorist should be able to do, I think, five, six pages a day. And then the guy lettering the book to kind of make the same amount of money would uh, would do probably the book in two days, the whole book in two days. And then a right. writer, a writer for a writer's page rate, I think kind of a base equivalent because and this is all kind of like base stuff because obviously back then chris claremont wasn't chris claremont i mean now yeah. chris could probably write one book a month and make more than he made back then writing three you know right absolutely but, but for like just type base stuff a writer probably would have to write two books a month for the equivalent of what the penciler did for one yeah you know yeah, for no, it that... to kind of work out it's all roughly in the same ballpark when you look at two for the writer, one for the penciler, a book and a half for the anchor, 
you know, the letterer probably needs, I mean, the letterer probably needs, if he can do a book in two days and a book is 20 pages, you know, he needs, you know, seven, he needs to letter seven, eight books a month. Yeah. yeah. I, and then the, to, to keep it on Claremont for a moment, I wonder uh, how many days it took poor uh, Tom Arzakowski to uh, write all the dialogue that uh, Claremont would write for him. I feel like that might you know, actually take the, four days. <laughs> the funny thing is, though, uh, so the guy that letters my stuff now, he's been we went to school together. He's been you know doing it for the same amount of time I've been drawing 32 years. And now he does everything on the computer. But when he got into the business, it was all still lettered by sure, hand. Yeah. And, you know, when he started off, he had to rule everything out. You know, you would rule all the guidelines for your lettering. And then a lot of guys would letter it in pencil first, because if they made a mistake, they could erase it. And then they'd go back over their pencil, you know, using their lettering pen, you know, and ink. And then the faster you get and the more your eyes attuned to it, you rule it all out. But the pencil's just out the window and, you know, you can just you're just so good. You just go right in with the ink. Right. Um, and I'm, I'm almost tempted to say, I'd have to ask him. Uh, and he, you know, my, my letterer, Steve, I don't know. Cause he hasn't, I don't think he's hand lettered in a long time, but probably when he was like seven or eight years in doing hand lettering, he might not, and I could be wrong, but he might not even have had to rule the lines out because you just, oh, wow. I mean, you see people like my wife can do it women always have great handwriting she can pull out a blank sheet of paper and just start writing and you'd swear there's a line underneath each one whereas if i do that it just starts going all over the place so <laughs> yeah no i know obviously it's all different with uh you know how much is done on computers now especially coloring and lettering and obviously oh, yeah. what the what it looks like what, and, it, you know, and what actually, were you gonna say eric yeah i was actually really curious like for yourself then how much how's uh how much of your work then is you, you know, paper, you know, ink, pencils versus computer? Uh, how much has it changed for you over the years? Uh, well, on the current book, I'm working on Core Draft. It's 100% paper. They're, the only computer is once the page is done, I have to scan it in and, you know, put it down to the proper size and do a little cleanup and then, you know, send it off to the colorist and the letterer. But on previous books, I would draw the pages on the computer and then print them out onto the full-size Bristol board that I use for paper. And then I would do all the inking traditional because I like having an original piece of art. Mm -hmm. But for this project, I just want to kind of go back to basic, I don't know, my roots or what I used to do, which was yeah. just sit at my desk, pull out the blank sheet of paper, look at my script, and then you know, do a thumbnail and then start drawing. So. so so it sounds like you're a little bit fluid, like you kind of go back and forth, or is this going back to 100% hand-drawn a real departure for you in recent, I don't know, the past 10, 15 years? No, not really, because even even when I was doing um, the my previous projects before this one, every now and then I would just feel like, you know what, I just don't want to sit at the computer to draw. I want to yeah. just sit at my desk for a change. Um, it just, it just depends. Like the computer's good because, you know, if I draw something too big or too small, instead of having to erase it, I can just, you know, select it and zoom, you know, blow it up, you know, scale it up or down. Whereas if I'm doing it on paper and I draw something a little too big or too small, um, nine times out of 10, 
I'll just go, okay, let's say I didn't have the luxury of being able to scan this in and fix it and print it out and, you know, trace it off. How can I resolve this problem? One, I could erase it and redo it. Or two, maybe I can, you know, how can I make this work without having to erase it? Right. You know, so if a figure's too big in the panel, I might just be like, well, I'll just make it work. And then, you know, once it's lettered, if, if it's just too cramped inside the panel, well, I can always go back in and Photoshop and, you know, adjust my art down so the lettering fits better, or it just might work fine, you know. Well, this seems like a perfect opportunity to mention what you are working on now, <laughs> which is uh, Cordrath. The Reckoning, uh, which uh, talk a little bit about it uh, for our visual audience. They're probably going to get a Conan the Barbarian vibe, but uh, talk a little bit about it and let people know how they can get involved in, in it. I mean, it's doing very well, uh, as you can see for, for the backers. It's on Indiegogo, but uh, talk a little bit about Cordrath. So Cordrath is basically Conan dumped into a Game of Thrones type atmosphere with a little bit of Dungeons and Dragons thrown in from the standpoint of the magic that uh, Dungeons & Dragons characters can utilize. Uh, the basic story is Cordrath and Adriana, who is his sorceress girlfriend, uh, they belong to two different tribes. He's from the Red Lions, she's from the Black Eagles, and they're out on, you could basically say, a quest that the leader of his tribe sent them on. And when they come back to, the, to his tribe, once they're done, they, his tribe was totally slaughtered. Everybody slaughtered. The whole encampment's been burned down. Um, of course, he doesn't know why uh, this happened or who did it. Um, so now it's it's kind of a mystery that has to he has to unfold to find out, you know, why this happened. Why was his tribe singled out this way? Now, when you read the campaign page, you'll see that the Necronite, who's the main bad guy, is the one that set all this in motion, but. Um, you know, Cordrath doesn't know that. So he has to, with the help of Adriana, go back to her tribe and through magic and other means kind of fit the pieces of this puzzle together to find out what the heck is exactly going on and why this happened. Um, and that's why it's Cordrath the Reckoning, because he's out for blood. 76 pages. It is uh, pretty action packed. Um, it's a fast paced story. There's also, uh, in the, in the theme of the whole Dungeons and Dragons, if, uh, you're into role-playing like that, my co-creator Dennis is actually writing a 24 page game module. So, which is not based on this story. This is a brand new story he's writing for the game. So it's playable with characters you might've created for other role-playing games or in Cordrath right now for the main characters are playable characters where we have their stats and everything that everybody that's back the campaign is going to get as well. So they can actually play the core draft characters in that game. Right. Um, and uh, the best way to find it, I guess, is to go to Indiegogo and type in core draft, nope, right? Okay, will, you tell me. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's not going to get you anywhere. Okay. Um, Indiegogo, uh, don't don't really know why, but this campaign, as well as a few others, and I happen to know all the people that own the other campaigns, are uh, shadow banned. 
So if you go oh. to Indiegogo and type in my name or Cordra, if you type in Cordrath, you won't find anything. If you type in my name, you'll find my previous campaigns, but not this one. So oh, interesting. you can try Googling the exact name as if you're watching this, it says Cordrath, The Reckoning by Andy Smith. So if you Google that, Indiegogo should show up. There's also Cordrath.com and it's spelled K-O-R dash D-R-A-T-H dot com. And there's an order here tab, which will take you to it. Did you find it? What are you showing? I found it surprisingly easily and I am your newest backer. So. Oh, well, thank you. So wait, you went of to course, Indiegogo and, and found yeah. it? Yeah, found it on Indiegogo. I went, I Googled yeah. Indiegogo and then uh, Cordra. Oh, but you, Google, you didn't just go straight to Indiegogo. No, 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 no. I, I did right. both. Okay. So Google got it. Indiegogo involved. plus yeah. the title, yeah. you're there. Well, or you I much. just gave $38 to well, who knows you. who. Uh, no, <laughs> it was me. Um, so this, so the Core Draft website does have some more stuff on it that is not on the campaign page because there's only so much you can put on the campaign page. Um, the campaign has the first eight pages that can be read. The, the website has the first 11 now, I will say, before you click on interior pages, the reason uh, the campaign only has eight, because page nine is uh, a little saucy. So it's, right. uh, it's oh, a little hold bit on, of hold on. Uh, You didn't say anything about sauce. I'm canceling my order <laughs> right it's now. It's a little bit of Cordrath and Adriana, let's say, relaxing after a long day. Yeah. Uh, but, oh, that's uh, so, that I, I yeah I know from I know from talking to you previously there was this idea that uh, Adriana in the early conception uh, might have been uh, his sister and uh, then no. the idea was it might be better for storytelling if perhaps yeah. they're not related like let's not get into Game of Thrones territory yeah, of Thrones. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they they uh, <laughs> I think cornered the market on that <laughs> yeah right exactly. Um, but, uh, so, uh, so in terms of, uh, so, you know, you're part of the way done in terms of people actually getting the books is that, uh, this year, early next year, hard to say. Oh no. Or... It's, uh, so the campaigns has a estimation of November, you know, this year for right. fulfillment, but I'm on page, I just started page 56 okay. out of the 76. So, I mean, we're hoping to fulfill early, you know, if yeah. no major hiccups come along, or anything people should be getting their books before november but well, you know i like to pad things because i'd rather pad it and be early than you know say june and be late yeah. so um so november is the definite and then um you know hopefully earlier than that because like i said i'm i'm 56 into 76 so yeah. And, and, and also, uh, one ahead. thing I just noticed on the campaign, sorry for interrupting, Christian, was uh, no it's, there's just a lot of stuff there, too. It's like you have, like, beanies or, like, uh, you can commission to get a private. Well, and, and, yeah. and I'm also a fan of the, the heavy metal T-shirt uh, that uh, I, I don't have up at the moment. But uh, the last time that we spoke, I was going yeah. through and I'm like, I love the metal T-shirt. You could wear it to an Iron Maiden shirt and probably every I mean, you could wear it to an Iron Maiden concert. Everybody's like, what is that? I want to know right. more. You know, and I tell you, I. I would love to be able to order the shirts now. Yeah. And I mean, we have, you know, we've sold enough, but you know, if something changes down the road, you know, you, when it comes to shirts and you probably know this, you want to only have to place one order. Correct. Right. Because if <laughs> yeah. you, if you place one for say, you know, 50, that's great. But then if you get, if you have to go back and you, you need to place, 
say six or seven more, you can't because there's a minimum order. So right now we're past the minimum order, but I'd rather keep it going. I, I think sometime during the summer, because the shirts will ship separately from the books. So I think sometime during the summer, nice. I'll probably put, a, put the word out that the shirts are coming down so yeah. we can get the orders in and get them out while it's still summertime for people that might not live in, you know, warm climates year round or something so they can actually wear it. Plus, I, I want to cool. wear one. So, yeah, didn't right, Core yeah. Draft open from Guar back in ninety uh, <laughs> one? Yeah. It was a it was a it was a great tour. Yeah, there you had yeah. to uh, you really had to wear the poncho uh, to the uh, Core Draft uh, Guar show. That's right. uh, and also, we referenced it earlier. Uh, make sure to uh, let people know where they can find the show that you do with your co creator uh, Dennis Turner. Oh yeah, it's the Dennis and Andy show. It's Wednesdays at five p.m. Unless my daughter's working till five and I have to pick her up, then it's at three thirty Eastern time. Uh, <laughs> you can just go to YouTube and search Dennis and Andy Show, and the channel will come up. You can search uh, Andy Smith Comic Artist. That my channel comes up. We uh, we stream live on both channels, so you can watch it on either one. Um, but of course, as you say or should subscribe to both. Subscriptions are free. Yeah, and, uh, there exactly. you go. And uh, one of the things that you guys do is you see a movie pretty much every week and you'll talk about whether it's, you know, comic book, science fiction, fantasy, you'll talk about a movie pretty much every week. Right? Pretty much weekly. We just saw Friday because I was at, we usually go Thursday night because, you know, they come, it's funny, movies used to always be Fridays. Now they drop yep. Thursday night at seven, but they still say yep. premiering Friday. Yeah. So we try to go <laughs> Thursday to do the review first thing Friday to put up. Uh, I was out of town Thursday, so we saw Sisu on Friday night, which was fan-freaking-tastic. I've heard good things. I haven't seen it yet. I uh, I was I was busy taking my son to see the re-release of Return of the Jedi yesterday. Uh, which and I took my he, daughter yesterday. He's, so he's seven. I was, yeah, you went on Friday. Uh, my son's seven. I was seven when it came out, and I saw it uh, almost exactly 40 years ago. And, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that was uh, it was uh, great to see it on the big screen, even though it's a special edition. You, you know, it's a special edition going in and uh, for all the but extra I mean, with stuff the special, that... with the with the special edition, besides the edition of Hayden at the end. That was it, wasn't it? It's Not the band at Jabba's the Palace. There, there's a whole production number. Yeah. Uh, they, they take out. Yeah, they take out the Ewok celebration and they take out. Uh, the original size noodles in the Max Rebo band uh, performance from the, oh, uh, really? the old edition. Yeah. And, and I've talked about this before. I had a 45. That was the a side was Ewok celebration. And the, the B, B side was, I know that that's, yeah, that song was called uh Lapty neck. And uh, you know, the, this, this band Miko who did like the disco star Wars and they did a lot of music yeah. for George. Uh, you know, they did the, uh, the Christmas and the stars album, stuff like that. They did that song. So this 45 that I had as a kid that I loved, both of those were taken out of the special edition in 1997. Uh, oh. But so apart from those two scenes though, there's a lot of it. Like the Sarlacc looks better. There's a lot of effects. Oh no, I knew that. Did. Yeah. What they yeah. did made it better, except that it's like, Oh, I kind of have a fondness for those scenes, but you know, you know whatever. my I, kid has no, I, my kid has no idea. So I told my daughter and she's seen it obviously on, she's a huge star Wars fan, huge star Wars collection. She, uh, she watches it. She watches the first three or now five, six, and seven or four, five, four, and five six, and six. constantly yeah. on Disney plus, but she's obviously never seen it in the theater. She turns 20 
on Friday. So we're taking our right. guardians on Friday. Nice. Um, but so obviously she's never seen it. Whereas I saw it when I was 13. So we went yesterday. It, a lot of it was new to me because I don't think I've watched that movie. Honestly, more than three times since I saw it in the theater. Okay. Because I, I like Star Wars, I like Star Trek, but I don't love them to the point of rewatch over and over and over. I mean, I don't do that with even movies I love. I don't watch them over and over because right. my mind just starts jumping ahead, you know. But it was yeah, fun seeing it in the theater because of so much of it that I forgot. I mean, I remembered yeah. all the main scenes, but all the in-between stuff, totally forgot, so... Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's always a favorite when the uh, the Rancor Keeper is just devastated. The I death know. Of He's just oh, crying so much. I'm just like, I love that guy. And I, that's that's one of my one of my favorite, most useless action figures that I have from 40 years ago is the Rancor Keeper. But, uh, you know, the one anyway, thing they didn't fix, though, that what's that, you know, with your saying the stuff they enhanced on the on the planet with the Ewoks. I don't uh, it's oh. What were the what were the machines called that were walking that you know? So there's the there's the adats and then the smaller ones. I think they I don't know what the official name was, but the they were like chicken walkers is basically. Yeah, well, my point is the small ones and even the adats for that matter. You think they could have made them not look so stop motion because they still look just as bad stop motion as they did back then. It's like, I think here's a leg moving. Don't pause. Don't encourage. Don't encourage George yeah. to go back in again and change it again. You know, I, mean, it's, oh, uh, I don't think he has the power to. I, so I thought not anymore. The Argonauts yeah. was going to come fight them at yeah. one point. So. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'm excited for uh, both of you to uh, see Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. I'm excited for everyone to see it. Uh, I think everybody's going to have fun with it. This has been a great summer for fun movies. I thought, uh, you know, Dungeons and Dragons was fun. Super Mario Brothers was fun. I didn't need any more out of either of those movies. Anybody looking for something else, that's fine. I didn't need more. And uh, I think that this is uh, right in line with that. And I think uh, I think people who like the Guardians and like the Guardians movies will be very happy with this movie. And, uh, nice. you know, all you can think after seeing it is, uh, oh, man. DC's actually uh, actually got a chance at uh, putting out a couple of good ones. Although I, I hear the Flash is amazing from people who've already seen it, the upcoming Flash movie. So I, you know, I hope it is. I can't stand yeah. Ezra Miller because of all the off-screen antics. I, I agree, I, and that surprises me. By the way, that the movie is still coming out with Ezra Miller, especially with know. how bad his off-screen antics are. Yeah, oh, but, are. Yeah. yeah, he should be. They should be in jail. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. yeah. But I, I got to say, I, for people that don't know it, like when I watch that trailer and I kind of say, OK, let's act like I know nothing about Ezra Miller's real life. Sure. Looks awesome. I think it looks well, great. Yeah. Well, in yeah, Justice no. League, Ezra Miller was the only one who seemed to get the assignment. Like Ezra the, Miller shows up and is having the best time. Totally is like the one character where you're like, all right, I get Flash. Yeah, the other ones, I, just everyone's so I, mopey. I dragged my wife to see Justice League, the the obviously the theatrical Joss Whedon. Yeah, yeah. I would, I would, I, 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 I value my marriage. I would not make her watch the Zack Snyder cut. Uh, but I we like went to Snyder go see cut. it. I did too, but I'm not. I'm oh, not going to tell well, my wife oh, it's a four I'm, hour yeah. movie. Right. Yeah. That's why I have kids. That's why boys. Do you wanna, yeah. yeah. Do you want to? Yeah. Exactly. I'll, I'll make my kid watch it. But what she said was uh, that Flash saved the movie for her, uh, it, the Justice League movie, because she really yeah. liked. The character and Jason Momoa was fun too, but no, I yeah, but I mean, really it was like 
consistently throughout. That's what you like. So yeah, I'm excited for that. Um, but uh, people will be able to see you talk about that over there. And then obviously on my YouTube channel, uh, Blackcast, uh, B-L-A-D-T-C-A-S-T, we do our uh, Marvel movie talk show. We'll do some special episodes there. Hopefully uh, I'll talk to both of you at some point in the weeks ahead and uh, looking forward to uh, doing all of that. And uh, speaking of uh, Flash, uh, next month's entry for the Geekscape Book Club will indeed be Flashpoint, uh, which is a yes. very divisive oh. storyline. And I've never read it, so I'm excited. Are you serious? Yeah, I'm not. A, I've I've never been a DC guy. I had a friend who basically bought me Crisis on Infinite Earth so that I would finally read it, and I'm like, this was amazing. I'm so glad I read it. But I I was always a Marvel homer, you know. I I really I read very little DC as a as a kid, and even in more recent times. I yeah. was I was pretty equal growing up with both because I I'm an art guy, so I you know if there yeah. was a good artist, I bought it. But I like well, yeah, especially like George Perez leaves Marvel for such a long time. It's like if you want to see his work, you have to buy yeah, you go to DC. DC. Yeah. yeah. Well, and yeah. that was one of the points I thought of uh, even when you put together the book club for geekscape that's kind of fun is like we're we're almost like the holes in our knowledge and the holes in our uh what we've read over the years and we found out like there was a whole bunch of things that it's almost silly that as guys who grew up reading these comics who love the marvel lore and and also bits of the dc lore too like that we hadn't read these so yeah that's what's been right. kind of fun about yeah this that's whole that's why we started doing yeah. doing the show and uh you know the the first one we did was batman year one and people were like what are you talking about i'm like i just i hadn't read it yeah. you know i mean it's just it's who i was you know <laughs> and also like once once anything had any kind of value you're like well i have to wait for a trade paperback anyway and then by then i guess i'd probably moved on but anyway so we'll talk about flashpoint next month i uh uh, the schedules are a little tricky in May. So uh, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Christian DMZ. I will make sure to let everybody know when we will have that. Uh, I know we try to let you know when the next episode will be, but uh, there's too many moving pieces uh, in, right. in May into June, but uh, we will get to it before the flash comes out. Uh, just a final thought on what we were talking about for uh, most of the, the past hour plus. Uh, is there is there something any of these characters that we're talking about that you would uh, most like to get a chance to to draw again, Andy? You know, whether it's Adam Warlock, Thanos, uh, anybody from from these stories, like oh, this, it would be the most fun to tell another story with, you know, Silver Surfer or anybody come to mind. Uh, I think Warlock because I didn't get to draw Warlock much. Yeah, I, I drew one issue of Warlock and in Infinity, whatever that book was back then during the infinity watch i think so yeah yeah, I think yeah. that's the one I, I and that's the first that was the only time up until the thanos stuff almost 20 years later that i worked with jim because jim wrote right. it yeah so I, I think warlock i've drawn thanos a few times in the early 90s when i first started uh and the silver surfer i did three issues of but warlock would be fun yeah, and and I think that uh, you know it's a character that uh, spent my prime years reading comics. He he was basically dead. Thanos was dead, you know. And then yeah. by the time that Infinity Gauntlet, Infinity War come up, uh, that's that's where I'm like, okay, this is like somebody I'd read about and heard reference, but hadn't really seen that much of. Uh, Eric, I want to make sure that people know where to find you uh, before we say goodbye. Where can you be found, sir? Uh, I can be found so many places, including uh, Count Eric Connor on Twitter. That's E-R-I-C-C-O-N-N-E-R. I hope you know how to spell count. Uh, and I'm also on Instagram, not on TikTok, because I'm old, and it's creepy yeah, when same. old men are on TikTok. Same. Yeah. Very yeah. creepy. Uh, yeah, and if you're yeah. in the Burbank area, I'll plug 
I'm, I'm Go ahead. Be returning yeah. to the stage for the first time in many, many decades. Uh, I'm going to be uh, bringing every ounce of my old Jewness to the role of Mushnik, <laughs> the old miserly Jew. I don't think I'm a miser in real life. No, and, not in real uh, life. I'll be doing a little singing, a little dancing. Not too much. Don't worry. Nice. Uh, so, uh, yeah, check out Little Shop of Horrors if you're in the Burbank area at the Victory Theater. Ticket cool. and, uh, Theater Company. And, and I will be there Friday, May 19th with my wife. Meet uh, Christian Blatt in person. Yes. I, I will, uh, you know, I'll, I'll schedule a, uh, a, you know, a meet and greet uh, for only $90. I'll take a picture and, uh, That's and right. sign something for you. You'll take a picture uh, in front of the in and out down the street. That's a great idea, actually. Um, in any case, uh, thank you both. Thanks to everybody for checking it out. Uh, we will uh, we'll uh, catch up with you next month uh, for Flashpoint, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll we'll keep reading until then. Good night, everybody. Good night. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.